Hello and welcome to East Got Game, an unofficial podcast for the NBL One East Basketball Competition 2023. Join us as we review, preview and interview our way through the NBL One East to showcase your new favourite talents. My name's Jacinta Govan from the Central Coast Crusaders and joining me as always as co-host is the absolute icon from Sutherland Sharks, Lockie France. How are you, Lockie? I'm great, Squint. I don't know about absolute icon, but I'll take the praise. Oh, look, I spent most of the weekends amongst your beloved Sutherland Sharks crew as they came to visit us at Breakers Indoor Sports Stadium on the coast. And, uh, yeah, you were very much a part of the conversation and of the crew, even though you were physically absent. So uh, you're certainly um, uh, part of the furniture there now, I'd say. It does appear that way, which is something I never thought would be the case, but there you go. Look, the place couldn't run without you, mate. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) So how was your weekend in MBL One East this week for round two? My weekend was great, actually. I got to see a lot more games this weekend than last week. Um, Went over to Bankstown and uh, got to watch Bankstown Norse Women, which was... uh, intriguing game also caught a bit of youth league which was good and then I uh, came home and watched your fantastic commentary of the Central Coast Sutherland games and then uh, caught the Sunday games on on the live stream as well so yeah big week big weekend of basketball for me how about yourself how was how was calling the Central Coast Sutherland games yeah, it wasn't too bad. I feel like the women's game was uh, quite exciting for the most part up until the third where Sutherland really started to run away with it. And I think our Crusaders gals took the foot off the accelerator a little bit. Really good to see uh, Emily Garland having a, a fantastic game as well, which we'll probably get into a bit later. Um, and the men's game was also quite entertaining. Uh, the Sharks always slightly having feeling like they had control for most of the game but they were a bit like a stalling car where you could tell that they wanted to really put the foot on the neck and take over in the game and that didn't really happen until the last five minutes of the fourth where they just blew it out but um really classy effort still especially from both Sutherland teams um Callie Hovita was just doing everything she possibly could to get that win and uh despite Maddie Norris being quite quiet in the first half she managed to find her feet in the second half as well. But it was, all, it was all down to Garland in that game for me. Yeah, I'm really happy to see uh, Emily step up in a big way. You know, we had, of course, we had Nicholson and Fabro out, but Calver as well was out as well for uh, Sutherland. So great to see the, uh, the young players stepping up. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, while we're speaking of the women's round, uh, would you like to, Lockie, do this the honours of taking us through the results of round two of MBL One East 2023? I certainly can. So uh, the early tip-off on Saturday was indeed that Bankstown-Norse game that I attended, and it was uh, Norse getting up with a big 80-47 to win in that one, whilst... Uh, down on the banks of the Murray, uh, Aubrey Wodonga Bandits got up 104 to 40 over a very young Hornsby side. Uh, in the nation's capital, it was Canberra knocking off Maitland, 71 59. And Penrith travelled down to Illawarra and got the win, 83 74. Up in Broadmeadow, it was Newcastle defeating Manly, 64 55. 
And at Hills, uh, it was the Comets marching in and getting the win over the Hornets, 72-41. Center of Excellence came up to Sydney and uh, dominated the uh, Inner West Bulls for the most part on their way to an 81-46 win. It was, of course, as we mentioned, the Sharks of Sutherland getting the win at Central Coast, 79-65. And then on Sunday, it was Maitland playing the second leg of their capital doubleheader against Centre of Excellence, and it was the COE picking up their second win of the weekend, 86-64, and they now sit clear atop the table at 3-0. Wow. So outstanding start for the COE, the team that you have picked to take it all in August when we get to the NBL 1 East finals. Um, We will a little bit later go through some of our all-star fives for the round as well, just to tease all of our listeners out there. But uh, let me take you through the results for the men. Uh, Obviously very similar matchups as to what Lockie um, has reported for the women's, starting off with the Bankstown Brewings hosting the North Bears and the North taking that win 85-66. to 66. Crusaders hosted the Sutherland Sharks and went down 60-79. to 79. Aubrey Wodonga hosted the Hornsby Karengai Spiders. Aubrey getting a great win at home with 104 points to 61. The Canberra Gunners had the win slip from their hands in a very, very tight contest against the Maitland Mustangs, uh, losing that one 70-75. to 75. Illawarra hosted Penrith Panthers and they got a very convincing win, 106 to 63. Newcastle Falcons also a convincing win for their first home game against the Manly Warringah Seagulls, 77 to 41. Hills Hornets almost had the win over the Comets, just going down by six points, 64 to 70 at the Hornets' nest. Inner West Bulls hosted the Centre of Excellence uh, with a not a bad, not a bad loss, but the COE getting up that game, eighty-one to sixty-four, and then the COE heading back home, going back to back this weekend, and they hosted Maitland Mustangs while the Mustangs did their double Canberra away road trip, and the Centre of Excellence just with a narrow four-point win, with one hundred and one to ninety-seven. So some pretty uh, interesting results all round for both the men and women, Lockie. Uh, were there any surprises for you in either competition in terms of wins and losses? I'm not sure about surprises, so to speak. Maybe some margins. Um, but, I mean, Canberra over Maitland, even with still two players out to, uh, you know, have a pretty comfortable 12-point margin in the end. Uh, thought Maitland might have been able to uh, keep it a bit closer. And they did come back a bit, but Canberra just pulled away in the end. Uh, Newcastle, they'll be very happy right now being 2-0. and um, Of course, Manly had no Kimberly Hodge. So that was, uh, again, taking advantage of team their opponents missing a player and picking up the win. So they're, they're sitting pretty at 2-0 and at the moment now, the Falcons. Uh, of course, you mentioned uh, Central Coast Southern. That game was filled with... Out. So I think there were three major players out for both teams on that side. So not sure how much we can actually read into some of these results even at this stage. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. That um, So it's only round two and so many uh, teams are already missing a lot of key players for one reason or another. 
Um, we'll probably get into the Canberra Maitland games a little bit more in a little bit more detail a bit later, given they were the game of the week. So we'll have a good chat about that. But as you mentioned, the Crusaders women were missing uh, Jasmine Forkadilla and Paris and Johnny Whitwa against Sutherland. Uh, and Sutherland, as you mentioned, also missing Loz Nicholson and Eliza Fabro, who are yet to join the team because they're still chasing that chip. So, you know, so I mean, if you got a choice between chasing a WNBL chip and coming back home for NBL One East, you can afford to miss a few rounds, I think. I think that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. And uh, it was a bit of a, it was a bit conflicting having uh, a Crusaders game to call, which, you know, we very much enjoy, but also missing the WNBL uh, grand final game one between Townsville Fire and Southside Flyers was on at the same time, so I had to race home and watch the replay. I was dual screening very hard. <laughs> yeah, see, I need to level up too and start to get like a monitor or something because it seems like these basketball clashes are going to happen way too often. So, um, yeah, I really need to save some money and level up to dual monitors. But anyway, let's get into uh, this Bankstown and North women's game. As you said, Lockie, you got to attend in person. Take me through it. Uh, well, in the first couple of minutes at, uh, Bankstown, they looked really physical and I'm not sure, I don't, not saying, um, Norse couldn't handle it. They just might've been like, Ooh, they're a little bit physical. And, uh, so for the first few minutes, Bankstown, you know, we're hanging with them. And then I think Norse were like, all right, we've got the hang of this now. And I mean, on paper, Norse should be should be winning this and uh they they quickly settled into their groove and uh you know came away with the win fairly comfortably in the end um as we all know uh Norse very much a uh defensively oriented team i mean any team with Kate Seabom on the roster is going to be uh they held actually Bankstown to 4 points in the second quarter which uh, really blew things open. It was 24-12 after a quarter and then 44-16. We saw Brittany Wright make her debut for Bankstown. And I talked to her after the game because she went to Alabama State University, which is a school I know many, many soccer players from. So we had a good chat after the game and she said she actually hasn't played a competitive game of basketball since uh, leaving Europe a couple of years ago. And uh, she said as much that she needs to like get her match legs under her. So I think we'll see her much improve. She finished with five and four. But for Norse, it was Carla Pittman scoring 22 points in 18 minutes and just getting whatever she wanted, getting to the cup, hitting from mid-range, just having a day out really. Uh, Not much Bankstown could do to stop her. Uh, And Kate Seabom... 12 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, and 5 steals because Kate Seabom gets steals. Yeah, and she gets assists too. Like that's a – I think, you know, we definitely know her as the prime and very long time one of the greatest defenders in our competition. Uh, hashtag what, – what's the hashtag again, Lockie? Hashtag, hashtag rename it. Rename it. As in rename the Defensive Player of the Year Award to the Kate Seabom Defensive Player of the Year Award. Correct. And hopefully now that we've got that on record on a podcast and hopefully, you know, 
we'll still be able to attract some people to listen to us rambling every week about MBO One East. Uh, we can get the word a little bit more out there to change the name. Or rename it, sorry, rename it. It would rename. help if I actually got the slogan right before <laughs> we start advocating for everyone else to take on the slogan. Uh, rename it. Okay. So we've got to try and get that well and truly into campaign this year if we can. That's um, true. But th- something that stood out to me in the box scores was uh, Brianna Maimone uh, and uh, Jadine Barnes, who are both formerly Brianna and Jadine Hennessy, uh, especially Brianna throughout the years was always known to be quite a prolific scorer and I noticed that she was kept to zero points and only three shot attempts. Yeah, so um, Kiana Davis-White was more of their uh, focal point inside, as you can glean from the stats. Uh, she took she took six threes, though. Um, it just looked more... Um, like when the offense got a bit stagnant, that seemed to be their kind of just go to a little bit. Unfortunately, uh, just you know, put up a three and see what hits because they finished two of sixteen from deep, and not all of them were good looks. Um, I'm sorry if that sounds a little. Uh, better little, you know, better this, decisions could have been made. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they didn't really need to. Uh, you know, take all the threes they did. Uh, Shalom Dunlop had a good good uh, stint there for a few minutes, probably for about a quarter, getting to the cup really well. Uh, finished with 12 points. But yeah, if I remember correctly, when Bankstown first put their roster out, a lot of these names weren't on it. Um, Bree and Jadine weren't. Uh, Madison Campbell wasn't. Um, Brittany Wright obviously wasn't. They didn't have an import. So... I'm not. I'm not sure how late these players came into the piece to you know bolster the numbers. They you know they might take them a few games to get their structure really working together. Um, but it didn't help that uh, yeah having players like Kate Seabom, um, Hassling Journey, a more striker for the entire contest or for the 13 minutes she was on court, and you know anyone else bringing the ball up as well uh, was uh, you know suffering from having having C-bomb in their face for much of the contest. So it sounds like that given the uh, potential late roster changes and additions in Bankstown, <laughs> that it's going to take them a while to gel and really start to be confident with their organisation on offence. Yeah, and you mentioned Bree and, and Jadine there. I mean, they can only help, you know, having that that veteran leadership, you know, keep, you know, keep the show on the road kind of thing. But, yeah, they. I think once Norse started handling their physicality and it really didn't take long. Um, you know, they it took them a while to figure out what else they were going to do. Uh, and they do have some players with a bit of pace like Journey and uh, Shalom. They're both really quick up and down court. So they can, you know, if they if they get out and running, they can push the pace with those two. Um, at, at times it looked like, you know, they had one line up on with all their bigs like Kiana and Bree and Brittany and Jadine. And then they throw a different line up on it was like going from ultra tall ball to ultra small ball. Yeah. yeah. And and for Norse, it seems like the stats were pretty, like everyone definitely contributed in some way. Um, yeah. Everyone getting some minutes. Like you said, Carla Pittman, 22 points uh, in just under 18 minutes. And she shot at 69%. So am I right? It's 
Am I right in saying that she was perhaps a little bit more relaxed this week compared to last week's game against Manly? Yeah, definitely. She um, yeah, looked a lot more composed throughout the contest. Uh, really looked like she was getting what she wanted. Uh, yeah, just a really, really confident performance. And she and, and, and that that's coming off playing um playing a youth league game just a few hours earlier. She had the eleven a.m. tip in youth league as well. So maybe that might partly explain why she only played eighteen minutes as well. You know the the score line plus having a youth league game in her legs. Oh, I didn't realize she was still going to play youth league as well. So she's still <laughs> doing the heavy lifting for. Well, it wasn't just Carla playing youth league because Carla, Emma Donnelly, Caitlin Martin. Peggy Shell and Holly Wills all suited up in Youth League at 11 a.m. and then backed up to play NBL 1 at 3 p.m. And that is not a set of five players I'd like to come up against if I was playing Youth League. No, that's almost like an all-star five of last year's Youth League. Almost. Yeah, yeah, bar a, cu- a couple of others, you know, like yeah. Zoe Miller. You're, yeah, but definitely, yeah. definitely five stars of, you know, five stars of Youth League. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, so at least that uh, sounds like North, though, are cementing a really good pathway for some of their, you know, uh, the likes of, um, well, well, some of them are new to actually Norths as well. So Emma Donnelly, Caitlin Martin are all new, and Holly are all new to Norths, having played for club, other clubs previously. But it sounds like they're buying into the women's program there and uh, if they're playing youth league and uh, MBL One East at the same time. Um, sounds like Norse are doing a great job of planning for their prospective core group in the future if they don't go to college. 100%. And, I mean, um, none of these players that you just mentioned, I don't think, obviously Holly won't, but I don't think, yeah, Caitlin, Emma um, or Holly, yeah, will or, or Carla. So, yeah, they've certainly got a core group. And, you know, you see some young players, they'll move clubs and go, no, I'm just I'm just only moving clubs because I want to get time playing Waratah or NBL One. But um, yeah, it's good to see them, you know, chipping in and you know playing youth league as well. And uh, also a shout out quickly to Sarah Shika. She did a little bit of everything too: eight points, six rebounds, three assists, two blocks, and uh, sorry, two steals and four blocks. So just oh. just wanting to do a little bit of everything, like Kate Seabob. She certainly did. Yeah, um, yeah, really made it tough around the basket for some of the. Uh, some of the Bankstown players, and then there's, of course, Jess Bygate, just a lazy 14 and 10 off the bench, if you don't mind, for the uh, former Tall Ferns player. All right, so moving on, uh, one of my uh, – so that was – we kind of named that as your game of the week last episode in a sense that we knew you were going to attend um, and we wanted to cover some extra games. So my kind of uh, – preferred game of the week or the other game of the the other game that I had my eyes on was Newcastle versus Manly in the women's comp. Um, Newcastle beating Sutherland in the first round without Nicole Munger uh, and Manly uh, get, stealing an early win against Norths in the first round. So those three teams are, well, I should say four teams, Sutherland, Newcastle, Manly, Norths, probably very high contention of making the top four for this year in NBL one East. Mm. So interesting that some of them have already played each other so early. But this Newcastle-Manly game, as mentioned before, Newcastle got the win. Uh, Nicole Munger is back on court after just having only probably a couple of weeks off um, after her successful UC cap season. Um, but I just – a couple of things. As you said, Manly didn't have Kim Hodge, so that was probably a big loss for them. 
uh, in terms of talent and in terms of height because that meant Newcastle could probably exploit the loss of Hodge and they, um, they were getting the ball inside to McGuinnesskin a lot more often. And McGuinnesskin did a good job of both being an offensive threat and also a faci- facilitator for her teammates uh, throughout the game. Munga ended up having eight rebounds in the first quarter. Um, so it's basically like she just had a subbed herself out for two weeks, hit the court again and was back to her huge stats that uh, we saw last season. Um, it was really interesting, though, that six, uh, Newcastle also did have six turnovers in the first quarter. Um, so it, it seems like based on rounds one and two, Newcastle's turnovers are a, a little bit of an issue while they're still probably getting some parts of their game together. Um, and they only suited up eight players, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah, I noticed, yeah, um, no Hannah Chicken this mm. week, who played last week, and again, no Keely McLean. Mm. Yes, I'm not too sure of their either of their absences. I I couldn't see them on the bench, but then again, it was a little bit hard to see sometimes from where the camera was who was on the bench for each team. And there was a part of the start of the game where the camera wasn't even moving with the play. So we, we definitely missed a couple of the early plays because the camera, I don't know if the cameraman wasn't there or whatever, but it wasn't moving. Um, but... Uh, also, at Newcastle, I feel like they did a pretty good job. It looked like they played plenty of motion, um, using a lot of cut, cutting action straight down the middle of the key, um, whether it was actually a cut or a penetration, which was working quite well for them. But then in the second half, they started to change it up a little bit and used a lot more screening action uh, to get Munga open, especially on a secondary screen where she could kind of curl and get an entry from um, from either the high post or from the guard up top. So that worked out quite nicely for them. And uh, with Munga ending the game, uh, 21 points, 19 rebounds, four assists, um, which I thought was pretty outstanding. I think it's pretty good. Um, when I talked to some Manly people before the season, they talked about um, Kimberly Hodge playing above her height and she has to because they don't really have a center. Um, how, how did that just not having a true big at all up against Munger, Curtin and McGuinnesskin really impact things, especially how much Newcastle can really throw at you in terms of players who, if they're not all really tall, at least have the size to go at it in the paint. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, McGuinnesskin, like I said, did a good job of, at least being an option, she had the she had six three and two in the game in twenty minutes. So Manly still did a pretty good job of at least keeping McGuinnesskin off the boards and uh, walling up when they can. It was a game as well where the first half everyone was just missing a whole lot of bunnies. Uh, like Manly only ended up with twenty six percent field goal percentage for the whole game because they they missed a lot of layups. Like they lost by nine and they probably missed like like 15 layups maybe. Oh, wow. whole game. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but it, it was a lot, like to the point where the commentators were making comments about the missed layups and the number of turnovers from each team. Manly only had 12 turnovers, which was really good. Uh, Newcastle having 17. Um, but what's really interesting is that – oh, and they had and they had 48 rebounds. But uh, – yeah, so Manly did a good job of a little bit better with ball protection in terms of only 12 
turnovers and, and Newcastle is 17. But um, I think Manly still did a relatively good job of like um, compensating in terms of like some rim protection. But um, Abby Curtin, yeah, she had 17 points and eight rebounds in just under 15 minutes of play. Um, but I feel like the likes of Munger and Curtin were getting a lot of their shots either from penetration or from shots, uh, points like the short corner or off a curl cut, like I said earlier. So it wasn't too much. Um, and obviously boxing out. Like boxing out I feel like is something we're going to say a lot on this podcast all season. Because I know it's only two rounds, but I'm yet to see a team like consistently box out well for like a number of possessions in a row, which it's just becoming like um, AFL when there's a loose ball and everyone's fighting for it in the air. Did you see that at all in that Bankstown North game? Uh, it wasn't as – I think that's something that Bankstown right really – I guess with their size and their physicality, they really want to uh, that, you know, focus – if not focus on like make a, uh, a point of, I think would be the best way to say it. Um, because they they weren't horrendously out re- I mean they they lost a rebound count by seventeen, but uh, it didn't feel like one of those games where um, I mean didn't it didn't feel like it. But looking at the stats, it was actually twenty four offensive rebounds for North. So, but it didn't feel like a lack of effort from Bankstown kind of thing. Mm. Um, it, it, like when when I watched Sutherland against Newcastle, it was really really noticeable. It didn't feel like that against Bankstown, but um, uh, for Bankstown against North. But looking at the stats, yeah, 24 offensive rebounds for North, uh, which is, yeah, really not good, uh, against, especially against, you know, like, sorry, just looking at the stats now, the um, shooting stats were almost identical for the teams, 39% each from the field, from two-point range, sorry. So, yeah, the that offensive rebounding number is probably going to be a theme throughout the season. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, as I mentioned, Newcastle had more turnovers than Manly and Manly had far more offensive rebounds than Newcastle. So that those two really key stats, you would think, okay, maybe Manly's going to have, you know, a lot more possession and with possession, more possession generally, you're in a better position to win the game. So Manly had 18 offensive rebounds, um, four going to Felicity Henderson. Uh, Newcastle only had nine. So only three of Nicole Munger's total 19 rebounds were offensive. Um, So, yeah, again, just lots of missed opportunities for Manly. They were taking plenty of good shots but just missing a lot of bunnies. Some of their regular shooters weren't shooting their best um, on the night either. but, I mean, to be fair, they've got all the parts, Manly. They had some really great ball movement. They had a lot of great penetration and dishing from the top. Um, and I think all it really came down to, other than the missed opportunities and layups, was just this one point in the third quarter when Newcastle were a little bit ahead. Then they just managed to get a couple of baskets in a row. Manly went a bit cold on the scoring end, and then that was maintain- uh, Newcastle were able to maintain that nine-point buffer pretty much until the end, I think. Um, but, yeah, so Newcastle, 2-0. and um, To start off their season against two very big competitors. So they'd be cheering right now. I think they really would, and this is actually something I noted down, is that they would consider themselves 
as being able to beat both Manly and Sutherland at full if all three teams were at full strength. But I think one and one would be where you'd probably put them. Maybe they beat Sutherland, lose to Manly, or vice versa. So it's maybe not a bonus win, but it's definitely, you know, it's probably not something you would 100% say, yeah, Newcastle going to be 2-0 against these two teams. So I think they'll be very happy to have those two wins in the pocket, especially against teams, like you said before, North, Sutherland, Manly, Newcastle. Those teams all look like they could be fighting for spots anywhere from first to fifth or sixth with a couple of other teams. So Newcastle will already be halfway to winning a season series against both of them and having two wins straight out of the gate couldn't be in a better position. So it's going to, it might end up being pretty important for the likes of North and Manly to try and, and Sutherland to try, or maybe not Sutherland, but North and Manly to get the split against Newcastle if they can, depending on how uh, the rest of the season pans out. Because I think we're I think we're in for a little bit more of a tighter race in NBL One East women's competition in particular this year. Remember, we still got Shyla Hill to join the Comets at some <laughs> stage too, so it's just going to go up from there. So now let's head into our game of the week, the official game of the week uh, available on KO Freebies for round two of the NBL One East 2023 competition was Canberra and Maitland. Um especially the Canberra men and the Maitland Mustangs being a grand final rematch. Um, and a, a new look Maitland women's team taking on uh, the Canberra Nationals side. Canberra Nationals side also got a bunch of new players stepping up from their Waratah League uh, women's team, the likes of Mia Slater and Abby Kettles. Um, they were doing some big things. Uh, so just to start off, the Canberra uh, Nationals versus Maitland Mustang women Canberra was still without Lizzie Tonks and Chloe Tuliak, who also missed round one, but also missing Bianca Dufelmeyer, unfortunately, who uh, rumour has it perhaps pulled up a little bit with a niggly injury from round one. But Coach Nat Hurst was back. And Abby Solway. No, Abby yeah. Solway played. Oh, did, no, did Abby Solway play last week? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure she did. Oh. I think she had good numbers in round one. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. So she... I was just, I think my brain just groups those three with Tonks and Tuliak together because they all played for the Caps this season. Correct. They yes. They sure did. Yes. Uh, but the Nationals missing the likes of Kristen Langhorn this season. But as we said, they've got Mia Slater and Abby Kettles stepping up to the plate. Um, and they had a great game. And I think the standout, though, for this game was uh, Jasmine Butsos, who had a big 24 points. Now, I think she was someone who was getting a little bit, a, a couple of minutes here and there, maybe at most 15, 20 last season. Um, but with the absence of Tonks, Tuliak, Dufemeyer, she stepped up in a big way this week. She really did. Uh, I think she she averaged just over double figures in scoring last season. So she was doing doing a fair bit. But I mean, if she's suddenly proving that she you know she can uh, become a, you know a focal point of the offense when required, it's going to be a massive massive help for the uh, Nationals this season. You know, twenty four points in a in a game that they only won by twelve. And you know, as you said, missing three players of the caliber that those three are. 
that is just a massive, massive bonus for the Nationals on Saturday. Yes, and uh, Jasmine Butsos also shooting fifty eight percent overall, um, including two out of two from three three pointers. So, uh, yeah, she definitely stepped up for the Nats as well as uh, Mia Slater. She had a double double of fourteen and eleven in twenty three minutes, and Abby Kettles had six uh, sorry six points, ten rebounds, and six assists to go with her thirty two minutes. Now, what I really liked about the Canberra Nationals uh, in this game is how well they used Slater and Kettle's um, versatility. So they did show their skills of being a, being able to play post, like in the back-to-the-basket style, but they also showed their versatility of being able pl- to play from the high post too. Um, and I think that's something quite refreshing in our league of being able to have these versatile four fives that can play from both positions um, because I'm sure you've noticed as well, Lockie, a trend over the years is that we're going away from that back to the basket post kind of play the, and the mid-range jump shot. Everything's going towards uh, either layups or three-pointers. Yeah, it's it's gone beyond the stretch five in a way, hasn't it? Um, mm. It's Yeah, it's more, you know, a perimeter player who can get in the paint. Um all, all the things you mentioned about Mia Slater just take me back to the uh, Waratah 1 Women's Grand Final from 2022 in which she won MVP uh, as Canberra won that. Uh, just the way she played and mentioning how she worked and is so versatile and grabbing you know 14 points and 11 rebounds just reminded me of how she played against Coffs Harbour in that Grand Final. Uh, and at the time, I was wondering, you know, when is she going to get the chance, you know, for, you know, an extended stint with the NBL one side? And it's come along this weekend and uh, she's grabbed it with both hands. Literally. Uh, yes. With the, with the 11 rebounds. <laughs> yes. But um, it's great that Canberra have a, a little bit of a different pathway in their program to NBL one, uh, choosing to enter a team into the Waratah League, which is formerly the state league program, rather than entering a youth league team. Um, but listen, it's obviously working for them very well. Um, they consistently turn over a great, great talented players through their pathway. So it's really nice to see when you can see a, a younger player step up and make an impact on the big leagues. But a couple of outstanding stats as uh, for the Canberra Nationals as a team, dominating the rebounds. 53 rebounds for the game against Maitland's 26. So literally doubling the rebound count. Uh, but on the on the poor, on the other side of that is 23 turnovers. So I'm sure Coach Hurst being an outstanding point guard in her heyday in the WNBL um, will hopefully be able to shape a little bit better ball security and decision-making to help uh, shave off 23 turnovers. That is exactly what I noticed as well because when I went and looked at the rebound count and I saw 53 to 26 rebounds, how did Canberra only win by 12? And then I scrolled over and looked at the turnover numbers and it became incredibly obvious why the margin was just 12 points. Uh, but you you mentioned those rebound numbers. You know, if you look at Maitland's individual rebound numbers, you know, Canberra obviously keeping Sydney Hunter off the boards, which is going to be a massive thing for any team that wants to beat Maitland this season. She was held to just, you know, four rebounds alongside her 12 points. Although of those 12 points, eight of 10 at the charity stripe. So 
definitely doing a good job there. You know, few few Canberra players on three fouls. Uh, fortunately for the Nationals, no one in real foul trouble by the end, though. But if we look at Maitland as a whole, led by, as you'd expect, Shakira Riley with uh, 18 points, but on five of 16 shootings, three of 10 from deep. So uh, probably as a team, they'd uh, want to shoot more efficiently, though. Not uh, That's definitely not a uh, Shakira Riley problem in and of itself because they shot just 32% from the field and three of 22 from three-point range. Uh, Mila Washkovich also finishing in double figures with uh, 10 points. Uh, she shot 5 of 12, 5 of 6 from two-point range, but then 0 of 6 from deep. So, you know, those misses from three-point range, you know, 3 of 22. And Jasmine Bootsos alone hitting 5 of 9 from three-point range. Uh, definite swing there in the perimeter shooting between the two teams. Yeah, sorry. It was five of nine from three. I said two from three before, but that was her two point. She only, she had three shot attempts, Jasmine Bootsos, of two point range and five of nine from three. So I got that completely flipped. But five of nine from three, that's, that is impressive. That is. And it if you look at the rest of the team, O of nine from three. So she was really carrying them from, from beyond the arc. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, plenty of good things, though, for Maitland to work on. I mean, at least they were exploiting the fact of those turnovers, you know, Shaq getting three steals, Sydney Hunter getting four steals. Um, And like you said, Sydney Hunter kept off the rebound count. But hopefully once she gets used to the league and the physicality and the style of play, she'll be able to find different ways of making sure she gets her feet in the paint for a few more rebounds too. Um. Something from Maitland, yeah, was the three-point percentage that I'd written down at only 13.6%. Um, but I feel like they're also a team that are lacking traditional post players as well, apart from the likes of Kelsey Moss. She played 12 minutes. She's probably someone who has comfortably played in that 4-5 position most of her playing career. And for 12 minutes, she did great. She had two points, three rebounds, two assists and a steal. Um, so that it's too bad that they couldn't use her a little bit more, even if it was just to be a facilitator to three up their shooters on the outside. Because um, I feel like Maitland took some great shots, but I think as well their shooting percentage may be reflective of feeling like they were shooting out of panic a little bit to try and chip away at the deficit when they were um, when they were down at the end of the game. Um, but, yeah, still plenty of, of room to grow for Maitland, um, but definitely missing some key four or five role players, I think. Defin- definitely. And what did you think of the men's game, the grand final rematch, Canberra-Maitland, uh, Canberra-Gunners now is the men's, as the men's team and Maitland-Mustang men. What were your key takeaways from this one? Well, being from the central west of New South Wales, my main takeaway was Will Cranston Leon. Of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah, if, yeah. If, for, those, for those of you who don't know, Will Cranston Leon is originally from Bathurst, which is 70 kilometres from the town I grew up in. So, uh, yes, always happy to see the country boys or the western New South Wales boys doing well. Yeah, represent representing you very well indeed. He ended up with uh, 37 points, four rebounds, two assists, three steals. Had a bit of a slow start, 
perhaps to his scoring during the game, but the, um, he certainly came alive at the right time, I think. Definitely. You know, he shot five of six from deep, but he um, had a pretty good time getting to the cup as well, uh, especially as the game game wound on. Yeah, and it was really interesting this game. I feel like someone had to kind of uh, take control, whether from either team, someone really had to take control of the game because it was one of those games where neither team really felt comfortable establishing themselves. Neither team got into a comfortable rhythm on the offensive end. There were certainly times where I couldn't tell what Canberra was supposed to be running. And I'm like, are they just supposed to be running motion? Um, because there were lots of times, <clears throat> sorry, where the likes of Glenn Morrison found himself with a ball in his hand and the shot clock winding down and he just kind of had to make something happen. So lucky he was able to in this uh, game where he ended up with 20 points and seven rebounds. But um, Canberra looking a little bit disorganized compared to what we're used to. Um, Dahl Feig is still apparently recovering from an ankle injury, so that's probably why he only played 17 minutes and he came off the bench as well. Um, and they were only 19% from three-point land. And so the likes of uh, Tui, unfortunately, wasn't firing this game as well as he did in round one. Um, but also a lot of three-point attempts, I think, taken out of panic rather than perhaps uh, – out of good ball reversal and well-structured half-court offense that we're used to seeing the Canberra Gunners uh, based off last season. It's it's interesting you mention Morrison getting the ball with the shot clock running down because James Hunter, minutes played zero, seconds played zero. Mm. I would have thought in a game with no James Hunter for Maitland that Glenn Morrison would have been getting the ball Every single opportunity. Oh, so I should say he was getting a lot of touches to the ball throughout their throughout the game and throughout their regular offense. But um, I just noticed that he just happened to be the guy where it's like, oh, the shot clock's winding down. Oh, we'll just give it to Glenn and then we'll just watch him. Mm. And then there was no kind of like two man game. There was no on. There wasn't a lot of on ball in the dying seconds. There wasn't a lot of off ball movement either. Um. So he just kind of found himself in those situations where, like, I'll give it to. He, apparently, he's the Brindabella Beacon. He is the Brindabella Beacon, um, and yeah, he was kind of under pressure to make something happen. I think, but Canberra overall patches of like the D trans wasn't as good as we've know. Uh, we know that they can be, the Gunners can be, um, and yeah, there were lots of times on offense where no one really took any leadership to shoot. But having said that, I felt like there was definitely times where Maitland were also a little bit disorganised in their offence. But I think what gave Maitland the edge is, A, Will Cranston-Lown just taking the ball under his wing and saying, look, let's just end this game. I'm just going to put this game to bed and score my 37 points. Um, But Maitland actually showed a few more consistent patches throughout this game of playing really great defense and their offense coming out of the really, really great defense and being able to get some ball movement. The likes of Dan Milburn, uh, he didn't play his best. Canberra did a really, really good job of limiting um, his scoring options and keeping him away from the basket. 
Um, but I think Maitland just were able to have a few more solid patches, especially in the third, where they were able to play great D and get stops. But otherwise the game, for me anyway, was, uh, I don't know, a bit wishy-washy. I'm just looking at the quarter-by-quarter breakdown. Across the middle two quarters, Maitland 50, Canberra 28 after Canberra had an 11-point lead early. So really broke the game open in the middle stages. Mm. Yeah, and um, the Gunners made a really late run in the fourth to try and get it back at least tied, but I think it was a little bit little bit too late there. Um, any other takeaways from this game that I've missed, Lockie? Um, I'll just... Not a major takeaway, but um, Kevin Warren, Maitland's import, playing 30 minutes, you know, easing his way in, got finished with nine points. Um, Jay Cole not playing for Maitland either as alongside Hunter. And do you think Canberra is still adjusting to life without Will Mayfield and a catcher Lear maybe a little bit? Yeah, I think so, especially because both of them were – they were both definitely go-to scorers. And, I mean, a catcher Lear – uh, and Will Mayfield, they they were really good at making um, great offensive decisions as well. So I think perhaps they are looking a little bit lost when it comes to the stretch of their half-court offense of what to do next. So I think that's a good opportunity for some existing players from last year's roster to start taking on more responsibility as a scorer and not just have to rely on the Brindabella beacon all the time. Um, I also noticed, though, as you said, Maitland... Jay Cole didn't play. James Hunter didn't play. I'm not too sure why James Hunter didn't play either. Um, I did try and find out, but I came up with nothing. But uh, Jack Edwards, also not on the list. Oh, you're right. Yes. Yeah, so he was missing. There's a lot of big names in our conference that were missing this round. That's right. And just back on the Mayfield, Alir, you know, left for other conferences, uh, if you, when you think energy players at Canberra last year, you probably think Will Mayfield, Akechalir, and Dale Feek. Two of them are gone, and one of them still coming back from an ankle injury. Yeah, so yeah real that right. real that real spark. Maybe maybe not quite there as much as it was last year, and until Dale Feek gets back, it might not be there. You know, yeah. in the same way it was. So someone's going to have to step up and really provide that that energy when it's required. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. It was something that it was a spark missing for the Gunners. They looked hesitant and I think the only one time I've seen them really look hesitant was when we saw them at NBL one Nationals and they're up against the likes of, I can't even remember what game, definitely wasn't the Frankston game because they were ball in that game. But um, yeah. Their, mid- their middle game. Yeah, was it again? Oh, I can't remember who it was yeah. again now. But uh, nonetheless, there's still... Plenty of time for them to recuperate and have people with new established roles in the team. And um, look, anything can happen in NBL One East, as we know. It's a, and it usually does. And it usually does. So, what we're going to start from this week, uh, very faithful listeners, is we're going to start to try and go through our All Star Five for the rounds. Uh, and let's let's test this out, Lockie. Let's see how it goes. So, okay. I'm going to throw to you and give me your all-star five for the women's competition for round two. Okay. I just want to preface this by saying there were two players that had 2020 games this week or close enough to. I'm not picking two players who had almost identical impacts on the game. 
So I'm leading off with Vanessa Panousas from Comets, who had 32 points, seven rebounds, and six assists in a 72-41 win over Hills. Alongside her, I've got Ella Dent, 26 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, six steals in keeping Illawarra in the game as they went down to a narrow 83-74 loss to Penrith. Squin, I know you'll like this one. Emily Garland with her 32 points, eight rebounds, and three assists for a Sutherland team missing a stack of big names, really stepping up in a 79-65 win over Central Coast. And then a pair of players from the border. We've got Emma Mahady uh, from Albury-Wodonga, 19 points, nine rebounds, seven assists on triple-double watch in a monster 104-40 win over Hornsby-Karingai. And from same team, same game, Ash Hannon, 23 points, 22 rebounds, two steals in that same 104-40 win. But I just wanted to throw a few um, honourable mentions. Um, Nicole Munger had that uh, 21 and 19. Uh, can't fit everyone, unfortunately. Isla Jufferman's two double-doubles this week for COE. Jessica Petrie, also two big games. We already mentioned Jasmine Budsos and Carla Pittman. And young Kira Hudson. Uh, I believe she spent a bit of time at Central Coast or at Gosford City, as they were known, uh, now playing for Hornsby. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she had uh, 19 points and uh, eight rebounds as uh, they've managed to recruit her, it seems, and it seems she's uh, taken to the league quite well against, you know, the likes of Mahady and, and Hannon. And, yeah, so very, very tough picks this week. And I think it's going to be the same all week now that we have a 16-team league and eight or nine games each round. Yeah, and Kira Hudson, like you said, uh, long time and and her family, long time Central Coast basketball um, players, coaches, referees, very much embedded in the Central Coast. And Kira taking her opportunity to um, get a great position uh, with the Hornsby Karingai Spiders she actually goes to um, school up on the North Shore now, so I think that kind of suits her as well playing for Hornsby. But the opportunity arose for Kira to have a starting position as a point guard for an NBL1 team, and she's taken it by both hands, which is great. Um, be great for her development. She's a very crafty little guard, can shoot from anywhere, great court vision, and, yeah, putting up those numbers in her debut she would have been guarded by the likes of Theodore and Ardern as well. And we know that they're like two of the best on-ball defenders in the league. So I think that's a great effort from Kira for her debut. I don't, I don't go on. I wouldn't go on court if Brody Page Theodore was guarding me. Don't worry about that. Uh, I'd go on court and then as soon as I'd get the ball, I'd just immediately pass it. And <laughs> I also, uh, apparently I was reading up Hudson uh, at Barker College, very well performed in the uh, Australian schools championships recently. So... Definitely yeah. a player on the rise, as we as you've just explained. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Still only in under eighteens as well, so she's got a lot of playing days ahead of her. Um, so, now I had the pleasure of doing the men's. So who who have you got in the men's this weekend? Squin, definitely lots of lots of players to choose from. Yeah, for sure. And like you, I also have some honourable mentions. I think I'll start with my honourable mentions first. Uh, there were a clear four people out of the five that I was going to pick for my all-star five this week. The fifth player was a bit tricky because there were a few honourable mentions. 
but the two just missing out on the five were Aaron Redhead from Central Coast Crusaders. He had 17 points and 11 rebounds against Sutherland. And uh, Noah Pagotto from Illawarra Hawks, who had 16 and 16 against Penrith. I just like that too because um, I think he did it in kind of like pretty limited minutes too, the 16 and 16, and just keeping it even. He's very efficient. If he's going to give points, he's going to give rebounds too with an even 16 and 16. But um, my five is starting with Junior Madut. Welcome to NBL One East, Junior Madut, coming off his season with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix in the NBL League. I was almost going to say NBL One, but he's just balling in the the real NBL instead. Uh, he had thirty points in thirty minutes against Bankstown. Uh, Junior Madut suiting up for North this uh, this NBL One East season. Then we had Jameer Coleman from the Aubrey Wodonga Bandits with 20 points, 15 rebounds and four assists in just 25 minutes against the Hornsby Karingai Spiders. Of course, Will Cranston Lown, 37 points at 62% against the Canberra Gunners. Who He also had a pretty outstanding game against COE as well. Uh, and also Will Davo Hickey for the Illawarra Hawks with 28 points five rebounds, eight assists, and two blocks, one of those two blocks being an absolute monster where he literally swatted it back into the stands. And if you haven't seen that, please go and check out the MBL1 and MBL1 East uh, Instagram where you can see a reel of said block. Uh, and the fifth spot, like I said, there were a few people jostling for this spot, but ultimately went to, went to Alex Condon from the Centre of Excellence who versus Maitland, in that four-point win, had 13 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, two steals, six blocks, and he shot at 67%. So if that doesn't say upcoming young Australian talent, then I don't know what will. (laughs) That is a set of monster performances. And, yes, please do go and check out that block from Dave O'Hickey. And while you're on Instagram, please go and follow Scott Game. We'll throw up graphics of these All-Star 5 so, and the stat leaders for the week. So tag your mates. Let them know they're getting shown love somewhere. Yeah, good shout-out, Lockie. Well done, buddy. Um, before, we, uh, before we preview or at least uh, give out the game of the week for round three, have you got any major takeaways, news, or gossip from round two of NBL One East? My main takeaway is rebounding. And I know we talked about offensive rebounding, boxing out. I just want to talk about when there's one player on the court who is grabbing rebounds for fun and what are we doing to stop them? Like this week we had... Nicole Munger, 19 in a game. Ash Haddon, 23 in a game. Summer Hanson and Isla Jufferman's 18 each in a game. You know, can we can we get a body on these players? Yeah, can we get a body on? Hashtag, yeah. can we get a body on? Please, please. I just, um, it's obviously been something we've mentioned, you know, just the offensive, allowing the offensive rebounds, but just, I mean, stopping players like Ash Hannon is not fun, but. You know, I'd rather see a bunch of players get six or seven rebounds apiece because you've actually stopped their focal point than one player grabbing 23. Yeah, and as much as we love the monster numbers and the stat lines, Mm 
we still want to see like people being super competitive and uh, the physicality under the basket, which is such a big difference between the likes of watching a youth league game or a Waratah game versus an NBL one game. It's just that ability to compete under the basket for rebounds that make it more entertaining and exciting. But how good is this matchup going to be in the future between Juffman and Hannon? Oh, can't wait. That's going to be me. brilliant. I don't know if you can hear it, but that's me rubbing my hands with excitement. Uh, I can hear it. <laughs> um, so that's your, yes, overall takeaway, 100% agree. Um, rebounding and boxing out. I'm going to second that motion, Lockie, and put down, please, rebounds and boxing out. Have you got any news or gossip for me, mate? Well, a couple of things we noticed. Well, one thing I noticed and one thing everyone would have noticed and one thing I was tipped off on is that Georgia Ordoff, back for Illawarra. You know, she was like, no, I'm, I'm done after last season, but evidently they've put the call out. So absolute star for uh, Metro State in the past, as are a bunch of other players in this league. Uh, Paris and Johnny Whitwer, no less, both went there as well. So, uh, yeah, George is back for Illawarra. And um, interestingly, Michaela Domkin's name is no longer on the roster for Inner West on the, on the website, just on the website as quickly as it was on there. So don't know if something's happened there, but name's not there anymore. Yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled, NBL1 East fans, about these roster changes. But great that George is back. I know that you're very happy about that because you were quite disappointed in the preseason not to see her name on a, on a roster at least. But uh, not too sure. Big question mark over Domkins as well. So hopefully we'll find, get some clarification on that ASAP. For me, I know that Iggy Mitchell, unfortunately, won't be playing NBL 1 East for his beloved Sydney Comets as he was seen in a very heavy knee brace at the Sydney Kings Grand Final last week. And I spoke to someone from the Hoops Capital Camp confirming that Iggy won't be playing at least for the next 12 months. So um, hopefully, uh, Iggy, wishing you a very safe and speedy recovery and we can't wait till you're back on court. Uh, the other news that I probably have is that Noman Schwabe, the Central Coast Crusader legend and uh, dad of Jamal Schwabe, who now plays for the Central Coast Crusader men, he stepped up as coach for the men this week and it sounds like that he's actually going to be the new permanent coach for the men's program. So if that's the case, Noman, we welcome you. You did such a great job with the Central Coast uh, Crusaders Youth League women last season, earning the title of Coach of the Year. So hopefully you'll be able to pass on your wisdom as a former player and now coach to our Crusaders 1 men. But otherwise, I think that's almost a wrap. So, Lockie, take us through the matchups for round three in the women's comp. Uh, matchups for the women's comp. We have uh, Bankstown versus Illawarra at Bankstown. That's the early tip at 3 p.m. Then Centre of Excellence taking on Penrith. Manly versus Central Coast. Albury Wodonga taking on Hills, Newcastle versus Canberra, Sutherland versus Inner West, Comets facing Hornsby. And then on Sunday, we have a triple header, Centre of Excellence facing Illawarra, Maitland against North, and Central Coast facing the Canberra Nationals. Correct. And safe to say that exactly the matchups that you called for the women's is exactly the same for the men. 
uh, noting that the Central Coast Crusader men play at 1 o'clock against the Canberra Gunners, whereas I think the women are at 3. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yep, yeah, you've done your, yeah, sharing sharing it around as, as you do up on the coast. Yes, we do like to do that on the Central Coast where we like to flip the script sometimes between the men and the women's team of who plays first. Um, so the official game of the week that will be available on KO Freebies is going to be the Sydney Comets versus the Hornsby Karingai Spiders. Um, so make sure you catch both of those games on KO Freebies. Otherwise, the, as usual, the rest of the games will be available uh, to stream or to watch later on the MBL one official website. So with that as the official game of the week, Lockie, what is your personal game of the week for round three? Uh, I think it's going to be Illawarra versus COE men is uh, the one I really want to keep an eye on. We've got two title contenders. We've got Dave O'Hickey fresh off 28. We've got the old stages, Tim Conrad and Lucas Waxy Walker, ready to show the kids you know, how it's done. I think there's a lot of interesting storylines in that one on the men's side. And I, on the women's side, I like I like Newcastle Canberra. I also like Manly Central Coast, uh, if, especially if Central Coast uh, have everyone back. I'd like to, I really want to see you know Jazz Forkadilla and um, Sarah Matthews taking on the likes of you know Zoe Miller, Alex Delaney. See if Kim Hodges back and what she can do for Manly against Central Coast. So two very entertaining matchups. Yeah, I think I'm going to uh, second those motions as well, Lockie. They're probably my outstanding games of the week too. I'm probably also going to keep an eye on... um, No, you did mention Newcastle Canberra Nationals. I'm going to definitely keep an eye on that. Also, Crusaders host Canberra Nationals on the Sunday. So both Canberra and Crusaders having two games uh, in round three. It's going to be interesting... Manly Crusaders women, if Kim Hodge plays for Manly, it's going to be interesting from from Crusaders who's going to be able to guard her. Uh, Crusaders women having some also having some issues with boxing out over the week and rebounds over the weekend, which you have to you you need to know where Kim Hodge is all the time. Yes. From the moment she steps in the stadium to the moment she leaves, you need to know where she is. So don't rest on your laurels there. But the Crusaders women and Canberra Nationals, I think, is going to be uh, a pretty good matchup as well. So, yeah, definitely no boring bits. Um, And hopefully, you know, for round three, we'll be taking a deeper dive into the game of the week as we have this episode and also taking a a close look at some of the other games as well. We're going to try and make it quite fair... um, as fair as possible, so to speak, Lockie, to make sure that all of the teams get uh, their time in the spotlight. 100%. And I just want to also mention, we guarantee uh, one team to get their first win as Bankstown and Illawarra, who are both 0-2, are the early tip in the women this week. So someone has to kick up a first win this weekend. Who are you tipping for that game? Should I should I ask? Because I know how much you love tipping and giving predictions. All right. I, I hate tipping and predictions. I'm winding you up. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, I am going to. I'll take Illawarra. One. Yeah, I'll take Illawarra <laughs> too. But um, I think I think Bankstown. Once Brittany Wright gets her legs under her, they'll be a much better team. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye on her too. But uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Looking forward to round three of MBL One East 2023. 
Remember to find us on Instagram, send us a hello, tag your friends in some of those graphics that Lockie mentioned before. Uh, Welcome to send us a DM if you've got any suggestions. Um, Understandably, we can't cover all the games. We try and stick to an hour, so we can't cover all the games as comprehensively as possible because Mm. between me and Lockie, we would probably have six hours worth of content and no one wants to hear that, perhaps other than me and Lockie. Um, (laughs) So anyway, we'll catch you next week for round three. Lockie, as always, thank you very much for being the co-host. Thank you for being the host. Oh, no dramas at all. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next week for round three.